Chapter 31 of the History of Burke and Hare and of the Resurrectionist Times. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. The History of Burke and Hare by George MacGregor. Chapter 31 Hare's Case Before the High Court of Justiciary, Speech by Mr. Francis Jeffrey, Opinion of the Judges, A Divided Bench, The Decision of the Court. The High Court of Justiciary met to decide on the case as it now stood on the 2nd of February. The importance of the issue to be deliberated upon is shown by the fact that on the bench were no fewer than six judges, the Lord Justice, Clark Boyle, and Lords Gillies, Petmilly, Meadowbank, Mackenzie, and Alloway. Hare was represented by Messrs. Duncan McNeil and Hugh Bruce. The private prosecutors by Messrs. Francis Jeffrey, Thomas Hamilton Miller, and E. Douglas Sanford and the crown by the Lord Advocate, the Solicitor General, Mr. Hope, and Messrs. Robert Dundas, Archibald Allison, and Alexander Wood, Advocate's Depute. At the outset, Mr. Jeffrey obtained the permission of the court to say a few words on the power of the public prosecutor to enter into a compact with accomplices whom he might think proper to adduce as witnesses. The particular questions he wished to raise were, had the High Court of Justiciary no power over such a compact? Had the court, he asked, no judicial discretion over the terms of such an agreement, and did it rest with the Lord Advocate, and not with the court, to decide on its validity and effect? If these were to be answered in the affirmative, then the result simply was that the Lord Advocate was pervious automotos, substantially invested with the royal prerogative of pardon. Mr. McNeil, on behalf of Hare, had nothing to add to what was contained in the printed information for his client. The first judge to give his opinion on the case before the court was Lord Gillies, who, after complimenting the Lord Advocate for having, by his action in the charge against Burke, saved the country from an indelible disgrace, gave it as his opinion that his lordship was entitled to pledge his responsibility for a pardon or remission. But proceeding to the main question, whether this court had powers by law to quash the proceedings taken against Hare by Wilson's relations in consequence of what took place at his precognition or at the trial of birth, Lord Gillies, after a long argument, gave it as his opinion that the court could not do so, and should accordingly reject the bill presented on behalf of Hare. He conceived that, in the general case, the legal right and title of the private party to prosecute was clear and indisputable. By the Act 1587, Chapter 77, and a prior enactment, 1436, pursuits of the king's instance were only subsidiary, and even at the present time, after various changes 
the private right of prosecution was he believed as sacred and as indisputable as that of the lord advocate then on the question of socii criminis his lordship said that anciently a socius was as a general rule not admissible and had no immunity but by the act twenty one g o two c thirty four an accomplice to theft or cattle stealing was admitted and the immunity was granted him if his evidence proved the guilt of the prisoner in seventeen seventy in the case of macdonald and jameson the doctrine was laid down not that an accomplice giving evidence was discharged of the crime but merely that his examination might go far to operate as an acquittal from the crime as to which he was examined by a decision in seventeen ninety four a socius was declared safe first if he were examined as a witness and second if he spoke out no doubt there had been a great extension of the law but taking the only statute that was in existence they would find it only gave impunity to him who had been examined and not to him who might have been cited and not examined it was said hare was ready and willing to give evidence on the two charges against burke that were not remitted to the jury but this the court could not know and at any rate an examination as a witness which alone by law even as extended by practice gave indemnity did not take place as for the relationship existing in virtue of the compact between the lord advocate and hare it was one thing for his lordship to apply for and obtain a pardon from the crown and another thing to have power to give a legal exemption from trial to a criminal merely by citing him as a witness lord pitmilly however took another view of the case he concurred generally in the historical resume of the law as given by lord gillies though he differed in his conclusions i feel intensely said his lordship for the relatives of wilson i sympathize also with the public desire to bring a great criminal to justice but i feel more for the security of the law and i hold no consideration so important as that public faith pledged by a responsible officer and sanctified by the court in pursuance of uniform practice should be kept inviolate even with the greatest criminal the history of the law relating to socii criminis was very learnedly reviewed by lord meadowbank who submitted that it was clearly established from a train of practice running through a period of upwards of two centuries and a half that socii criminis had been admissible witnesses in the law of scotland such being his opinion he should have presumed at all times and under all circumstances the examination of a witness must have operated ipse facto as an immunity to him from subsequent prosecution for the crime respecting which he was called upon to give evidence in truth he declared so irreconcilable to all sound reasoning would it be to hold either that no such immunity was thereby obtained or that there was not created an equitable right as in england to a pardon that he could not imagine how any socii criminis 
ever could have been examined. In the present case, he considered the promise of the Lord Advocate barred the private prosecutors from taking action against Hare for punishment, though it in no way interfered with their right of prosecution for assessment, and he was clear that this warrant ought to be discharged and the complainer ordained to be set at liberty. Lord Mackenzie went over much the same ground as his judicial brethren, and in delivering his opinion that Hare ought to be set at liberty, he said, Remembering as we must do the dreadful evidence he gave, it is impossible to contemplate his escape without pain, a pain always felt, in some degree, in every case where an accomplice in a great crime is, however necessarily, taken as evidence for the crown, but never, I believe, felt more strongly than the present. I sympathize with that feeling, but I feel not less strongly that this man, however guilty, must not die by a perversion of legal procedure, a perversion which would form a precedent for the oppression of persons of far other characters, and in far other situations, and shake the public confidence and the steadiness and fairness of that administration of criminal justice on which the security of the lives of all men is dependent. Lord Alway, on the other hand, felt bound to differ from the opinions of the majority of his brethren, and to concur in that given by Lord Gillies. He conceived that Hare might have a protection as to the murder of Campbell or Doherty, he having been a witness against Burke and MacDougall and their trial for that murder, but he doubted if that protection extended to the other two charges, as to Wilson and Patterson, or in any other crimes for which Burke was never tried. As to the position of the Wilsons, it was his opinion that a private prosecutor had an undoubted right to prosecute to the highest doom every offender who had injured him, and for the punishment of all offenses in which he had an individual interest. This opinion was founded upon the authority of every institutional writer upon the criminal law of Scotland, upon a variety of statutes, upon the decisions of the High Court of Justiciary, and upon the practice of the country, and his lordship, thought these circumstances without one single authority to the contrary would have been sufficient to prevent the contrary doctrine from being maintained, chiefly upon the ground of expediency and advantage to the public. The Lord Justice Clark then gave his opinion, throwing his weight with the majority of the court. He commended the course taken by the Lord Advocate in retaining hair and his wife as evidence, for had not that been done, it was probable no verdict such as was given would have been come to by the jury. As to Hare's position, it seemed to him that the Lord Advocate had an undoubted privilege, according to long and established usage, of selecting from those suspected of such crimes such persons whose evidence he might deem immaterial to secure the ends of public justice, and to assure them that, upon giving evidence, 
he would never bring them to trial for their concern in the transactions as to which they were examined it seemed to his lordship that hare having forgiven evidence as he did completed his indemnity and rendered it impossible for the public prosecutor to turn round after the conviction of burke and indict the witness for his concern in either of the acts the trial of which had only been postponed at the earnest desire of the prisoners it appeared to be undoubted law that the public prosecutor having selected the accomplice and used his evidence upon the trial thereby necessarily deprived parties of the right which but for his proceeding they undoubtedly would have had to prosecute if this were not the case then the relatives of doherty would also be entitled to prosecute hare for the share he had in her murder but it was conceded by the counsel for the respondents the private prosecutors that the relations of doherty could not under the circumstances maintain that right if hare were legally exempted from all the prosecution at the instance of the public prosecutor for any accession he might have had to the three acts of murder charged in the indictment against burke and mcdougall there seemed to be no ground in law for maintaining that he might still be prosecuted at the instance of the relatives of any of the three parties alleged to have been murdered these opinions weighty and well considered on a most important point in the criminal law of scotland having been delivered the court finally pronounced the following judgment the lord justice clerk and the lord commissioners of justiciary having resumed consideration of the bill of advocation suspension and liberation for william hare with the informations given in for both parties in obedience to the order of court of twenty sixth january last and answers given in for his majesty's advocate in compliance with said order pass the bill advocate the cause and in respect that the complainer william hare cannot be criminally tried for the crime charged in the warrant of commitment therefore suspend the said warrant and ordain the magistrates of edinburgh and keepers of their toll-booth to set the said william hare at liberty and discharge all further procedure in the precognition complained of and ordain the said precognition in so far as it has already been taken to be delivered up to the clerk of this court in order to the same being sealed up to abide the farther orders of this court and discern but though hare was now ordered by the high court of justiciary to be liberated he was not yet a free man the relatives of wilson acting in a sense as the representatives of public opinion and certainly supported by public contributions took further steps which brought about a new phase of the case against hare immediately after the court had pronounced that it was incompetent to prosecute hare criminally there was presented to the sheriff a petition intimating that the intentions of mrs wilson and her daughter to prosecute him civilly for the sum of five hundred pounds and the name of the assessment for the murder of their relative and praying that as he was in meditazione fugae he should be detained in prison until 
he found caution to appear in answer to their averments. The Wilsons then, before the sheriff, declared upon oath that the said William Hare is justly adebted, resting and owing to the deponents the sum of five hundred pounds sterling, or such other sum as shall be modified by the court of justiciary, or any court competent, as stated in the petition, that the deponents are credibly informed and believe in their conscience that the said William Hare is in meditazione fugae and about to leave this kingdom whereby the deponents will be defrauded of the means of recovering said sum that the grounds of their belief are that hare was born in ireland that a short time ago he was imprisoned for examination preparatory to a trial upon a charge of murdering james wilson of which they have no doubt that he was guilty that owing to certain circumstances he has not been brought to trial for the offence and there is reason to believe that he will speedily be liberated from custody and owing to the prevailing belief of his guilt that the popular indignation which has an inconsequence been raised against him it is impossible that he can with safety to his life remain in scotland particularly as he has been suspected to be guilty of other murders and therefore they have no doubt that as soon as he shall be liberated from custody which they believe will be this evening he will use utmost and immediate exertions to escape from scotland to ireland this form having been gone through hare was brought in and was asked if he were concerned in killing james wilson to which he replied that he would say nothing about it he was then questioned as to his intentions when liberated but he remained silent all through mr monroe the agent for the petitioners moved that the sheriff to grant a warrant of commitment and offered to produce evidence that hare was in meditazione fugai should his lordship desire it the sheriff appointed a proof for that same day the first witness examined was william lindsay a prisoner in the tollbooth of edinburgh who stated that two or three days before hare told him that if he were liberated he would leave this country and go home to ireland immediately john fisher the head turnkey in calton jail corroborated hare was then informed by the sheriff that if he intended to remain in scotland any witnesses he might wish to speak to the fact could now be examined the prisoner's tongue was loosened and he replied that he had no money and must go somewhere to get work that he had no domicile in this part of the country and could not remain in edinburgh and that as a matter of fact he did not know whether he would remain in scotland or go to ireland or england in quest of employment the sheriff accordingly granted a warrant for the detention of hare until he found caution to answer to any action that might be brought against him in any competent court for payment of the sum mentioned in the petition hare was thus again thrown back and it must have seemed to him that if by turning informer against burke he had saved his life he was to be deprived of enjoying what remained of it as a free man but the wilsons and their friends saw that to prosecute the action for assessment could lead to no good result hare was penniless and it was therefore 
hopeless to seek compensation from him, while if they did so, they would be throwing away money needlessly in the process. The warrant was withdrawn on Thursday, the 5th of February, and Hare was, at last, free to go where he pleased. End of chapter 31